If you'll turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 1. We've been looking at John's prologue to his Gospel as we begin a very long trip into this Gospel, trying to pull apart what it says and what it means to us. And as we have looked, we basically have seen one message so far in the last three or four messages in John, and that is the glory of God. We've looked at the very glory of God. And uh, Paul in Corinthians said that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's how you see the glory of God. And so Paul, as he's looking at, as he's looking at Jesus and knowing who he was, the one that he knew Jesus loved him. That's how he, de- he described himself as someone who Jesus loved. And when he looked at the person who loved him, he realized that it was God Almighty Eternal. That this was the God that he knows as his friend and his, his Savior. So we'll read together for the first 18 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not made anything that was made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. That was the true light, which lighteneth every man cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came not unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor will of men, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This is the one of whom I spake, that he comes after me as preferred before me because he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. May God bless his, his words read, being read. So we saw, as we looked into that passage, that Jesus was God's communication with men, that, that God communicates through Jesus Christ. When you want to know what God wants of us and who God expects for us and what God has planned for us, you look at the ministry, the life, and the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We saw that Jesus is God himself, very God, but that he's distinct from God. That's the second person of the Trinity, the the three in one, the one in three, the very one God that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he was preexistent and forever and always God Almighty. 
that as an omnipotent God, that Jesus Christ is the creator. I remember how long I had been a Christian before that ever came to my mind, that Jesus was the creator of this world. I I think it was years and years that I had known Jesus to be my savior without realizing that he made me, that he made rocks and he made moons and stars, that this was the powerful, that Jesus is not soft and squishy, that he's powerful, and that he's, he's the one that we owe all life to, that he's life itself, John says, and that this life was light unto men so that men could actually see what's real in the world and what's real beyond the world, that when the walls of this world come down, what's real behind the world, Jesus allows you light to see that, that he intends us to know, to know who he is and what he has done for us, and that this came from a heart of love from God to us. His enemies, the very ones who betrayed him and owe nothing to him except that we should be punished by him, but that he has moved heaven and earth that to rescue us, and it's through Jesus Christ. We're going to see Jesus Christ as portrayed as God, God all the time, God every day, who never ever stopped being God, He shined as God, continuously shined as God in his purity, in his holiness, in his separation from evil. And evil hated his guts because you can't stand in the presence of light. Darkness has to run when light comes. And John said that the darkness tries to overcome it but can't, that the light shines in the darkness. So regardless, God is not thwarted by men. He's not thwarted by strong men or smart men or men with power or men with leverage. That he shines regardless of who we are, but that he shines out into the world. And when we get to chapter 1, verse 10 today, he comes into the world that he made, and the world does not know him. And that is the most horrible rebuke that John could have ever put upon mankind. Because we'll see in this book that the earthquakes, when the Son of God bowed his head and the sun wouldn't shine, that the the physical universe knows his creator and the demons know their creator. But sinful men who have fallen from a knowledge of God and blind as bats and dumb as rocks, they refuse to know God. And it's a willful blindness. It's a willful disobedience. It's a, it's a culpable, damnable offense to be blind in front of a God who is self-disclosing. And people will suffer for it. The number one offense before God is to be unbelieving in the, in the rescue that he makes for us. And so we see that this, that this light that lightens all men so that we have no excuse, though, though we turn to him or don't turn to him, that this light that comes into the world is putting its light on everything in the world. So the first thing we're going to look at is that the light of Christ is shining upon unbelief. We'll see that today. And I will try to give you the tiniest bit of verse 12, because I couldn't possibly stop at 11 But to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave right to become the children of God. 
Do you see, God is not simply damning us. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But Jesus will come to condemn the world. He will come as judge, and he will judge righteously, and he will be the standard upon our judgment. So any frightened soul who recognizes with the light that Jesus has given you that you are not right in front of a holy God, well, that's the first sensible thought you've ever thunk. To be not right with God is so true you're not right with God. But to have a Savior means that all that the Savior is has been given to you in grace. So have patience with me because I'm going to be talking about the unbelieving, rejecting world. And I have no idea why I titled this Receiving Jesus. That's next week's sermon. This is rejecting Jesus. This sermon is rejecting Jesus. And, and there, will be, there will be multitudes that reject Jesus. Charles Spurgeon thought that there would be more people to accept Jesus than reject him because that God would insist that his grace was good enough for the most, not the least. But he went on to say, but it is a narrow road and few there will be that find it. Few there will be that find it. And there is a huge road. And the road can have axe murderers and, and child molesters and, and nice sweet little old ladies on it. The road that leads to destruction is broad and there's a lot of ways to offend God. If I simply live the way I am when I'm born, my offense before God will be eternal and damnable. But to turn to Jesus in faith has to be based upon evidence. And that's what John is trying to do. John is giving us evidence that this man has changed eternity. And that his people will hear his voice. It's in John that we know that. My sheep hear my voice and will turn to me. And they won't follow a stranger. But there will be countless multitudes that will to their own damnation. So we also see that that light that shines upon unbelief. Last time we, we met, we saw that it also gives the power to people who have been changed by that life and can minister into other people's lives in a very humble way. And that that light which allows John the Baptist to say, this is the true light. It took light for John the Baptist to say that. It took light shining upon his soul that he then could see the spiritual reality that Jesus is light. Because his, his eyes would be just as blind as everybody's eyes. There's not two classes of people, good people and bad people. And good people will turn to the Lord and bad people will not. There are not two classes of men. All men will be their own self-promoter for all of their lives. And that is period. That's the it. If God shines into their heart to where they can see that Jesus is the true light, then as you have been changed, then you turn with a great commission and you go out and you preach the gospel to every creature. And it's simple people who have been changed by the light is the greatest commendation towards the light. It is God using simple people as his heralds. He could have used anything. There could be flashing lights, mountains caving in, and the stars coming, and that will happen. 
the mountains will crash into the ocean and the stars will flame across the sky as they plunge into the sea, but it's too late at that moment. In the meantime, he's using simple people who are going through troubled lives in, in many times not having what they want and not getting what they want, but trusting God that he's good to them in Jesus Christ. And they have weaned themselves of the, of the, the fancy plastic baubles of this world and turned their hearts in faith to a lasting city built not with hands, but by, by God himself. And that is what John is doing. He is saying, these people, God's light is shining through Jesus Christ upon unbelief. And what is unbelief? Unbelief is that the people came when Jesus came, when Jesus visited his creation. No one knew. No one knew. And I'm saying no one at all. No one knew. The lady having a baby in the back streets of Bethlehem in the middle of the night couldn't even get a place to sleep. Nobody knew. Nobody cared. Nobody announced him. There wasn't, there wasn't, uh, when Jesus died on the cross, there was not 10 days of public mourning and a hundred billion dollars spent on the spectacle. Jesus died and had to be, had to borrow his own tomb. The Roman government who owned the world didn't know. They, they signed his name as one of their subjects, and that's the only thing they knew about him. And then the, the, the kings and the officials, as they knew about him, they only knew that he was a, a miracle worker. They wanted to see a show. They wanted to see something. They wanted to see something. When the wise men came and said, where is the king of the Jews born? Herod, the king of the Jews only was investigating in as far as he could destroy the children of the city. And even more culpable than King Herod was the people he went to. He went to the, of the entire country, we're talking about the entire country, the chief scribes and Pharisees, the ones who knew everything about the Old Testament, and the king brought them all in, in a huge council and said, where is the Messiah to be born? I want to know right now. Don't tell me that they didn't know that there was a possibility that the Messiah had been born. Yet not one of them went to see. Not one. If these were the people who knew where every comma was in the Bible, but would not go and find out if the Messiah truly was being born today where they were in their place, five miles from where they sat, they didn't care. The world did not care. The world chooses to be blind. There's a blindness that is their own fault. When you harden your heart, there is a blindness that comes upon you as a result of your hardening. But don't think that it only goes that far. It goes way farther than that. Because a person who has hardened their heart and refuses to to see Jesus for who he is. Don't forget that there are people all over this world who have read the Bible. There are people from most religions who have read the Bible. There are people from all over the place. Very, very smart people read the Bible, though they mock it. They know more about it than you do. And often the poor Jehovah's Witnesses come to your door to try to sell you a magazine. And they will put people to shame 
that they know more about the scriptures that they don't believe than the people who claim that they know something because they don't even know how to defend. They don't even have to, to be an apologist for the gospel because they've never truly studied it. They don't know much at all. So most people don't want God. It's not that people are breaking down the door and that God is holding them at arm's length, but I promise you the Bible in a hundred places says you harden your heart, I'll harden your heart. You harden your heart and you deserve what you get. So the very next thing is that you will be following the, the false leaders, the blind guides. Jesus said they're blind guides and they're, everybody's going to end up in the ditch. And you will follow them because you've hardened your heart and you've blinded your own eyes and you've seared your own conscience and it will be nobody's, everybody will think, of course, they're going to now get involved with the next thing. And so you'll be, you'll be let off astray. And somebody will be responsible, absolutely, and, and, and blamable. But you are just as blamable to be their follower. And so when you look at the world religions and all of these people fanatically believing what they believe, and the weak among us will just say, well, they're, they're genuine and they're sincere and they believe what they believe. It must be just the same for them. And so everybody thinks all roads lead to God. Call him God. There's no offense. Say Jesus Christ and there everybody's uncomfortable because Jesus Christ is exclusive. Jesus Christ is not the generic God, though he is God Almighty. So when, when, when mankind have blinded themselves and then fallen their false teachers... God himself judges them. And it is not unrighteous for God to do this. God will blind you further so that you will never see the light. You'll never want it. You never wanted it in the first place. And I have to, I have to stop and I'm going, oh, what heavy news, what awful news. But God says, though to as many as received him, who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. That is in the next breath. It is true that mankind has rejected him. It's true that they did not want him and do not want him and will not want him. Your great-grandchildren, as you pray for them, they may be the ones who are holding on to the gospel, clinging to the cross in the midst of whatever their persecution looks like. And at the same time, to a world who will laugh at them and mock them and kill them like every generation of true Christians before. It'll be the same until God comes back and says, stop. And then everything changes. The gospel has to be believed. The gospel has to be, there has to be evidence for it that a rational mind and a, and a heart that, is, that you are refusing to harden so when it says, approach God and he will approach you, you don't harden your heart. Peter, David said, don't harden your heart like you did back when you rejected me. Don't harden your heart. You soften it. If you feel the very first twinges that God is working on your soul, do not repel him against him. Do not turn your back against him. You run to him. You run to him, maybe he will give you grace. Maybe he will open your eyes. Maybe he will drop the scales from your eyes and you will see with the light that Jesus is shining. Because right now Jesus is shining light on unbelief. This is from Matthew 21. 
Jesus, towards the very end, nearly his crucifixion, tells a story. This is starting in 33, if you follow along, please. Matthew 21. Hear another parable. There was a certain householder who planted a vineyard and hedged it around about and digged a wine press on it and built a tower and let out the husband and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to that husbandman that they might receive the fruits thereof. And the husbandman took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and seize upon his inheritance. And they caught him and cast him out of the vineyard and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard cometh, what will he do unto the husbandmen? They say unto him, He will miserably destroy those wicked men and let on his vineyard unto other husbandmen, which will render him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? The same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I to you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. Later, in that same passage, the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law knew he was speaking against them. He knew. He knew they knew that they were the husbandmen, that they were the ones taking care of what God had given them, what God had entrusted to them, what God had meant for them to produce fruit for, and that instead... Prophets had been sent to them that they rejected, that they stoned, that they killed. And then new ones were sent to them that they did not listen to. And then later the son came and they threw him out and killed him that they might have it all. They recognized themselves to be the ones that they were being talked about, but it did not crush them. It did not pinch them. It did not let them be, oh God, I've offended a holy God. What it did is it encouraged them to be even more brutal and more forthright. And within a week, he was dead. They got what they wanted. Because men rejected the one who had come, their creator who came. So if you look then at at this, this starting in in John 1, starting in verse 9, he's talking about John the Baptist pointing to the light. Do you see that? Even that is an indictment that John had to say, this is light. Do you see? Why would you need to tell someone that something was light? You have to shout, this right here is light. And then everyone looking for it or not looking for it. The fact that he had to say this is light. It was John the Baptist who first said to to Andrew, That is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. That's the true light. And Andrew, loyal Andrew, was like, but I I should... And John's like, follow him. I need to decrease. He needs to increase. And Andrew, looking away back at John, thanked him and went and followed Jesus and then went and got his brother. That's how it works. 
John had to tell even the ones who have eyes to see that that's the light. Because everything about us has been fallen. When we fell as man, when we fell as, as God's creatures, everything about us fell. So, so this, is, this chapter is not just talking about the glory of God. It's talking about the depravity of mankind. And when I say man is depraved, I don't act as bad as I could act. I, I don't do everything as bad as I could do it. We're not completely in chaos. We're not all killing each other and doing everything as bad as it could. There's still some constraints. The Spirit of God has His hand still on us and still on our country. As bad as you know it to be, it's still unrestrained. It's not as bad as it will be. The sinners will sin forever. You have to realize they'll sin in hell forever, sinning as bad as they could possibly be with no, with no trying to, to be different or even act different or even to show themselves in a different way. They will perpetually get worse. As a person who knows the Lord in glory will only perpetually look with more worship upon God. You will worship God more in a million years than you will in a thousand. What a glorious promise that God will give you more and you will love him more and you will be more pure as you see him, you will be like him. But a person who has rejected him will become worse and worse, perpetually sinning, culpably sinning forever. That is, that's, what is, that's what happens. So when you see that when you see that man is depraved, it's not that we're as bad as we can be. What it means totally, it means every aspect of me is touched. My mind is touched, so I don't think right. My, my eyes are touched, so I don't see right. My hands are touched. I can't, do, I can't do things. I can't follow God. I promise you, if you've ever done anything for God in your own strength, it will be wood, hay, and stubble that will burn up on the last day. It won't be accepted. Did you hear what Jonathan, or no, what Miss Louise said? I will accept the son of the stranger who aligns himself to me and puts himself under my covenant. And when he burns incense on my altar, I will accept it. That's us. We are the son of the stranger. And God will accept us. That though we have no, there's no reason why God should accept that. There's no, there is no basis. There is no reason at all that we should be accepted. Except that he reaches out in grace to us. And he says, Jesus says, if you have eyes to see, see. If you have ears to hear, hear. If you don't have ears to hear and eyes to see, there's various reasons for that. Starting with yourself starting with what you're taught, setting and an ending in God's judgment on you. And it's a sad situation. You will be a sad story. But if you sense God working in your heart, there is life to be had. There is life run to life. God is more of a treasure than the mountains of gold. You, if you knew what to choose, you would choose him over everything. And he is offering that. So when you say that they don't have eyes to see, that's true. Naturally, we don't have eyes to see. 1 Corinthians 2 says this, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. Neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned. 
You can't be smart enough to understand what God has. It's not a matter of I'm educated and I'm not educated, so I'm educated, I know what this says, I can read the original language or whatever. No, it's a spiritual discernment. If the Holy Spirit is not doing your work, if, the, if God is not the builder of your house, they who labor, labor in vain, who build it. Whatever you do that God is doing will be forever eternal, and that will be gold and precious stones that will outlast the fire. Whatever I do, even if I mean to do well, but I do it in my own strength, without God's leading, without God's, uh, God's idea, and I'm simply just trying to have a ministry or you're trying to have a ministry, it's a waste of your time. It's a waste. In fact, it's insulting to God because God is asking you that, that you do not lean not unto your own understanding. That you, as you seek to simply follow what God has, he is working in this world. He's the one that works. We are simply laboring for success or for, for, for failure. And for success simply means to trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Jesus. That, that's all it is. You trust what you see that God has said. And you trust that it's true and that God intends to do you good in Jesus' name. And then that you are willing to follow him. That's all it is. It is nothing else. Nobody needs to worry about God's ministry. God, no one needs to worry about God's vineyard. It will be fine. But he will allow us to work in it as, he, as we receive light, but it's the Holy Spirit that does it. So it must, you must have a, whole, a, a spirit filling. You must be filled with the spirit, which is it's not mystical, being filled with the Spirit is simply going to God. Is there anything that I have be- between us? Is there anything that I need to repent of? Am I, am I clean in your sight and depending upon your Son? And then, then go. Do. Do anything. And God is there. God is with you. He, and, he, and it doesn't even matter. You don't even have to know that you're working in his vineyard to do very good work. Whereas somebody who's intending to do uh, Christian-y stuff may have no effect whatsoever. That nothing will ever happen because God didn't make it happen. God didn't plant anything. There's not a plantation of the Lord if God didn't do it. But if God is doing it, he can use any of us. And we simply just, as we are right with the Lord, continuously right with the Lord, God will work in our lives. So I want to, to say that as, as I anticipate the next sermon, that there were people in the Old Testament that had eyes to see. There were people among God's people who loved God and trusted him and served him, that there was always a remnant. You have to remember Elijah said, I'm the only one that's following you. I'm the only one. Look at how bad the world has gotten. The, the queen has hired all of these prophets of Baal and there's nobody left and she's killed all of the prophets of God and I'm the only one left and God said honey I've reserved 7,000 men who've never never dropped their knee to Baal and you've never met them because I'm bigger than you are you're not the center of the universe I am capable of holding a remnant together and when he punished his people and drug them off to captivity. Only a very few came back. And I promised they had a revival when they came back. There was a revival because they wanted God. 
There was no boredom. They wanted him with all their heart. And there is a remnant, and God will always hold a remnant. On the day that Jesus was born, yes, Herod wanted to kill him. Yes, the scribes and Pharisees didn't even want to seek him. It took the the magi from another country to come and at least pay honor to him. But you have to remember, eight days later, he came into the temple, and Simeon was there. He said, now I can die. You've let me see the Lord's Messiah. Oh, you, you, you've kept your promises to our people. He was ready. His eyes were see. He could see. He looked at that baby instantly. And you're thinking, Mary and Joseph probably didn't even recognize this. Mary and Joseph, who was God's instruments, were marveling. This old man is knowing that this child will be the uprising and the downfall of many in the kingdom. And then the, the little old lady who came by, who's been widowed for 80 years, and God had said in that passage that she and people like her were looking for the redemption of Israel. Do you see it? There are people that will turn to the Lord. You don't know who they are. You preach to everybody. God raises the dead. You preach to everyone and God raises the dead. And God will have an absolute myriad throng of worshipers from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language. There will not be, you will, you will be dazzled by the multitudes of people who, like you, rejected Christ. That, like me, have rejected Christ. There's not a person in heaven who has not rejected Christ. Because just as Jonathan read, You will either trip over the stumbling stone or be crushed by it. And every one of us who rejected Christ in our hearts, every single one of us rejected Christ. And when we stumbled over Christ and had to deal with him, God then gave us light to see and we turned to him in faith. And that act in our of our, of our will was true, our will. It really was our desire. We wanted him. And God gets glory for that. And those people will forever be his. So you pray for your family. You pray for your friends. You pray for for this city. You pray for this country. You do. And you pray in faith because God can revive us. He can revive us. There could be multitudes from this generation and this location that will be in heaven. There could be. So as, as we simply trust God and lean heavy on each other and pray for each other that we live right, we can live with hope. Does that make you happy? Amen. Makes me happy.